question. It might have been you, um, of doing a seum. And on the one hand, you know, after all these weeks learning Shmuel, it definitely deserves a seum. And on the other hand, it's awful. It's such an awful ending. Like, who wants to celebrate when you finish Shmuel? But in any case, and not to mention, we didn't finish Shmuel, right? Because there is no Shmuel, Aleph, and Bet. It's one book. Yes. But we make an Aleph thing, but I could say one thing. The ending, in one way, is very bad and sad. But Dabi has been fighting. The other side of the coin is poor Dabi has been fighting and running and not being able to enjoy what is rightfully his. So on that side... Yeah, although... Although you don't, first of all, you don't get his reaction in this next parak. That comes in the next book, in Shmuel Bet. But also, it isn't so positive. As, as you know, as we'll see, God well, All right, let's, um, let's get started. We, we, okay. um, I am doing all this foreshadowing, but if you foreshadow forever, you never get there. So, what I expect to do today is to finish Perak Lamed, chapter 30, and to start Perak Lamed Aleph, at least to introduce it. Um, the end of chapter 30 uh, doesn't look like much. Remember that the last thing that we did was David telling his men that he's going to split the spoils between those who went and those who didn't go, and everybody is going to get an equal share. He overrode the objections of his men, gently but firmly. And now we find out that David is going to share the spoils even further. So we are up to Pasuk Chavav, sentence 26. Vayavo David el Tziklag, David comes back to Tziklag, Vayishalach mehashalal ziknei Yehuda lereihu, he sends from the spoils to the elders of Yehuda to his allies, Mitsudas David here explains, the elders who are his allies, Lemur saying, Hinei lachem bracha mishlaloi vehashem, here is a bracha for you. Remember, we've used the word bracha multiple times in this book to mean a gift. It doesn't mean a blessing, it means a gift. Mishalal oivei Hashem, from the spoils of the enemies of God. And then we find out who the recipients are. So, Lasher, you know, before I, before I actually read the list, I'm going to point you to source number one on your sheet where I gave you a listing based on the work of Professor Kiel in the Dad Mikra edition. He goes through the city names and tries to link them to names of cities that we know of in Yehuda from other places in Tanakh, especially from the list of the cities of, of Yehuda that are in that are in Sefer Yehoshua. Those of you who were with me when we did Yehoshua way, way back um, will remember that we had lists of cities now we find out that some of them are on this list to whom David sends the spoils. Some of the names don't match up precisely, but I didn't go through that on the sheet, like what exactly the names are. So what's interesting to me about the list, and we're going to go through it, is they're not, so to speak, um, power of cities of Yehuda. It's not like um, the list of cities you're going to see here, and you can count them up on the sheet in source number one. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten, twelve cities. It's not as though the twelve cities that you see here are 
um, are just normal cities, so to speak. Um, they have their own identities. So, Lasher Beit El, the city of Beit El, that is one of the cities of Shimon. Remember that Yaakov says about Shimon that he's going to divide them up and scatter them. Shimon and Levi. He says, Israel. He's going to scatter them. So Shimon ends up with cities in the tribe of Yehuda. We talked about that way, way back. And how Yehuda was the protector of Shimon originally. Shimon is in jail in Egypt. And Yehuda is the one who bails him out by bringing down Binyamin. And Yehuda is the protector of Shimon here as well. So the um, cities of Shimon are found in the tribe of Yehuda at this stage in our history. So Beit El is one of the cities of Shimon. Velasher Beramos Negev. Ramot Negev is another one that's a Shimon city. Velasher Biyatir, the city of Yatir. The city of Yatir is a city that is given to the Kohanim. Remember that the Kohanim gets cities around Israel. This is one of the cities that goes to the to the Kohanim. Velasher Ba'aroer. Aroer, the most famous Aroer, is actually east of the Yardin. That's not this city. And the Dat Mikra tries to make an identification. It seems to be a regular city of Yehuda. Vlasher Bisifmot, the city of Sifmot, also seems to be a regular city. Vlasher Beeshtimoa. Eshtimoa is one of the cities given to the Kohanim. Velasher Rachal, the city of Rachal. Rachal is also a regular city. And then, Velasher Be'arei HaYirach Me'eli, Velasher Be'arei HaKeni. Those were the cities of Yirach Me'eli and the cities of the Keni. We've met them before. Remember that when David was attacking the Gizri, Geshuri, Amaleki, he told Achish that he was attacking the Jews. Specifically, the Kemi and the Yerachme Eli. The Jews and maybe the Kemi are their allies. Unclear the identity of the Kemi. That's its own discussion. But the, the point is that um, they're listed here as recipients. Vela Asher Bechorma. Chorma is one of the Shimon cities. Vela Asher Bebor Ashan. Those in Bor Ashan. That's another one of the cities of Shimon. Vela Asher. Ba'atach. Atach is also a, uh, a city of Shimon. Did I not include that on the, uh, on the list here? That's interesting. I wonder why I left that out. Atach is also one of the cities of Shimon. So that should be on the list. I'll have to, uh, I'll have to correct that. So it's 13 cities, of which 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 of them are actually Shimon cities. These are people who are identified as allies of David, actually, I stopped short. There's another one. Sorry. Velasher bechevron, the city of Chevron as well. Chevron was a city given to the Levian in the tribe of Yehuda, and it became one of the Aramikla, one of the cities of refuge in uh, in Sefer Yehoshua. So all of these are the places. And then collectively, all the places where David and his men. Went, went. What is the common denominator between all of these places? So Rashi says, if you look at source number two, he's not the only one. Radak says it as well. 
Asher Hisalech Sham David, where David went, Shayu Mechabim Oso Mipnei Shaul. They hid him from Shaul. Remember how David was so desperate. Ki'ilo was going to turn him over. Ziv turned him over. So these are the good guys, the people here. They're the ones who did not turn David over to Shaul. David went there when he was a fugitive. Clear? Okay. So here's my question to you. Um, what is this act of sharing the spoils with these people? Why is David sharing the spoils with them? Hakara Right, Hakara gratitude. I think that's the simple read, right? The simple read is that it, he's rewarding the people who helped him. However, that's not so clear to me. And in fact, we get a lot of other explanations for why David did this. The, the, um, the, views, the views that we're going to see are brought by various commentators and, the cup and you know, Midrashim, um, they give different explanations. One question that I have about it is, what spoils did David send? David distributed the spoils to the 600. So, so what is he sending when he sends these out? And nobody, I have not found anybody who commented on this at all. I don't know. The only answer I can give that makes sense to me is that David, except within one view that we're going to bring from Radak, which we'll get to, but otherwise, I think the answer is David is sending his own. Whatever portion was David's, as one of the people who went, that's what David sends out. And I think that that's consistent with David's identity. Because David is somebody who is not interested in spoils. We saw that when they defeated Goliath, right? When David killed Goliath, Afterwards, we were told, if you flip back to the end of chapter 17, Perak Yedzayin, Psukim Nungimol Nundal, sentences 53 and 54. The Jews went after the Plishtim who were fleeing. And then it says, Vayashubu B'nei Yisom Midalog Acharei Felishtim, the Jews came back from racing after the Plishtim, Vayashosu as Machanehem, and they pillaged their camp. Vayikach David as Roshah Plishti, and David took the head of the Plishti, Vayibiyahu Yerushalayim, he brought it to Yerushalayim, we asked why he was bringing it to Yerushalayim, we had a whole bunch of explanations, Vayaskelav Sambiyahalo, he put the, uh, the equipment of Goliath in his tent, wherever that tent was, we discussed that as well, but the point is, take a look at a Barbanel in source number three, this was a Barbanel back in chapter 17, he says, David doesn't go to take spoils the way that everybody else does. His spoils were the head of Goliath and his equipment that he took. And he brought them to Shaul. And then they brought the head all around Israel. We talked about the Goliath's head tour. To tell all the women and children who weren't at the battlefield what had happened. Until they brought it to Jerusalem. So David is not someone who takes spoils. So I think, again, other than one view that we're going to see from Radak, I think the answer is that David is sending 
his own portion out to these other people. And I think there's something that supports it. And then I see that you unmuted, Susan, so I'm assuming you have a comment. But, uh, no? Okay. Um, but this is something I know some of you would definitely have picked up on. Did you notice, did you notice the verb in Pasuk Chavav, sentence 26, when it describes David sending the spoils? What is the verb? No, no, when he sends it. Vayishalach. Not, right, not Vayishlach, but Vayishalach, which is a different structure. The Vayishalach um, is he sent it with force. When Noach sends the uh, the raven out, Vayishalach is ha'orev. The Vayishlach and he sent is a general verb. Vayishalach is with force. So David sends out the spoils with force. I don't want these. These have to go to those cities. That's what David is... Uh, is I haven't seen anyone pick up on that, but I think it's very clear. I, yeah. I think what I was going to say was, when you asked the question, I thought this was a brilliant political move. Yeah. He knows he's coming to be leader soon. Now, they've stood behind him once, but now he's saying them. They'll stand behind him again when he becomes king, and they will be, it will be a helpful against those who still are upset about Jaul. Right. No, you can definitely, you can definitely make that argument, without a doubt, as a straight read. I haven't seen the commentator suggest it, but I definitely see why one would say so. Claudette. I also see it as David teaching those unscrupulous people a lesson how to live. He's teaching generosity. That's, right. The um, so I'm going to come. He's a leader, not only a doer, but he also brings people along with him. He right. Better. Right. No, I think that's a great idea. The um, I think that's a really strong idea. People always ask me. I get people who listen to the shiurim online, and they say to me, you know, you could have much better audio quality when you're giving this in the school if you would just use headphones and just let it record yourself instead of everybody else. But you would miss comments like that. The, uh, I think those are important insights. And in any case, I give the sheer primarily for the people who are here in the room. That there are other people who will listen later is wonderful, but the sheer is primarily for for uh, for the people on the Zoom. So the um, so I think that's a valid answer as well. Um, I want to show you a range of other answers. The um, all of the answers that we're going to see support David as a as a righteous warrior for Hashem. Um, if you take a look at Ralbag, he floats two ideas. Source number four. Ralbag says, Ulufarsem Hanes Asher Asa Hashem Yisbarach Lidavid to publicize the miracle that Hashem did on behalf of David, it's Pursume Nisa. David is doing this Ah, Purim coming up on Monday night, Tuesday. The um, David is doing it to publicize the miracle, the um, the fact that Hashem helped them against Amalek. This is also the view of Abarbanel. This is also the view of Malbim. The um, he's doing it in order to thank Hashem. And then Rabbi brings a second answer. 
and out of David's own generosity. David is a generous person that fits with the idea that it's that that David split with the two hundred out of his identity as somebody of Chesed. He says, He sent from the spoils to the elders of Yehuda to his allies in all of these places. So one approach so far, but aside from the approaches that we've given, the, the uh, that we mentioned in the beginning, you have Ralbag saying he does it because of God. You have Ralbag also saying he does it because of who he is. And then you have a school of thought that says, and this is a broad school with sub-ideas within it, that he does it because these people deserve it. The recipients deserve it. Whether you mean they deserve it as a reward for supporting David, like we said before, it's Hakaras Hatov, there's an element of gratitude, or in other ways. Take a look at source number five, the Medrash on Tehillim. Tehillim test Vav. Is, uh, is one that people may be familiar with. It's one that gets quoted at, uh, at funerals a lot, unfortunately. It's a, it's a popular reading for funerals. It describes a righteous person. And one of the traits of the righteous person is, Hashem Someone who honors those who revere Hashem. So, on that pasuk, the Medrash in Tehillim says, Zed David. That refers to David, who honors those who are in awe of God. What do you mean? Shenemar, because the Pasuk says, David sent from the spoils, to the elders of Yehuda, to his allies, and so on. The elders are people who David is showing respect to. These are people who are pious, who revere God. So that's what he's doing. It's about sending it to people who are worthy. Then you get a weird comment. I don't want to say weird. Weird is disrespectful. You get a strange comment. That's better. Um, from Rabavadya Seforno. This is on the war with Midian. Remember we talked about the division of the spoils in Midian? So look at what Seforno writes in source number six when when they're going to divide up the spoils in half there. Bechatzisa is Hamal Koach. You shall split the take in half. Because their war was revenge for what Midian did to all of the Jews, not just the 12,000 who fought. So therefore, Moshe wanted to fulfill with all of the people the prediction of you will eat the spoils of your enemies, which is a bracha that's given to them much later on. And the Torah in Parshas Shoftim. And so he says, in Midian, he splits the spoils with everybody because there's a bracha. When you are righteous, when you do things properly, you will eat the spoils of your enemies. So therefore, he said, in that war, I want to split it with everybody. And then, Ke'inyan David bishlal Amalek. Like David with the loot from Amalek, he said, Behold for you a gift from the spoils of the enemies of God. In other words, what Sperno is saying is that Amalek is an enemy of all of us. Amalek is a foe of all Jews. And therefore, David sends this to everybody. The reason I find this comment odd, odd is better than strange or weird, the, um, the reason I find this comment odd is because David doesn't send it to everybody. 
Yeah. Right. Chana, you were going to say that? No, I was thinking that... Yeah. He sends it only Lerayehu. He sends it to his allies. So I think that's a difficult one to uh, to accept. It's a very it, it's a very odd comment to me. Not to mention, he wasn't fighting Amalek as Amalek as we've already talked about. He fights Amalek because Amalek raided Tiklag and took the wives and sons, wives and kids, I should say. The um, he's not really fighting a war against Amalek. Um, in fact, the fact that you have spoils at all suggests it's not a war against Amalek. So. The, um, that, that comment from Ravadius Sforno is a little bit difficult to, to accept. Um, finally, Radak. And Radak has an entirely different approach. In source number seven, he says, Ve'od, another reason David does this, Ki me'eretz Yehuda hayash it was because the spoils came from the land of Yehuda, like it said, like this, the Egyptian youth said, Right? We extended ourselves against the south of the Kreti and against Yehuda. So what Radak says is what David is sending out is not his own stuff, which is what I've been assuming until now, but rather David is sending the spoils that had been stolen from those cities by Amalek. So it really belonged to them. Now, I find that answer very difficult. First of all, not all of these cities are in the Negev. The, um, that's number one. Like Hebron, really, does, you know, that is is a hard one to uh, to sell. The um, we talked about Negev Kalev. We dealt that we dealt with that a couple of weeks ago. But a Barbanel really doesn't like the idea. If you take a look at source number eight, he says no. He says David does not send it because the Amalekim took it from them. We talked about this when we talked about Zeshlal David. They have no claim to it. They gave up hope of ever getting it back. He sent them a gift from the spoils because it was their due. The um, Meaning, what David is saying is, I am sending this because you guys deserve it. And you could argue which of the explanations Abarbanel is um, is referring to here. Um, and then he goes on to say something else. I'm holding off on that actually for a moment. Um, I just wanted to, to sum up because we've said a lot of different things about this act of sharing the spoils. I think we, we have a lot of answers to work with. Um, the simplest answers are gratitude to those who helped him out slash smart politics. I think those are the clear, you know, starting points. The idea that it's publicizing what Hashem did for them is certainly consistent with David. Yeah, that's something we've seen before. David is not interested in the spoils, so that's also true. The idea that he's honoring those Zikanim is an interesting one. And the idea that it is a national war because Amalek is an enemy I find difficult. The um, the idea that it was the property that had been taken from those people, I also find somewhat uh, somewhat challenging. Yeah, there's what to be said. There's more to be said, but that, that's what I would that that that's what we have here. Um, then I wanted to point out one other thing on this, which is David sends it with a message. 
He says, this is a bracha for you, mishalal oivei Hashem, from the loot of the enemies of God. So that is the other piece of this Abarbanel in source number eight. He says, they are the enemies of God. So Abarbanel says that what David is trying to say is, first of all, it's from the loot of the enemies of God. It need not go back to the original owners anymore. They had given up hope of ever getting it back, number one. And then number two, what I'd stopped at in number in source number eight, lest you worry that if you use the spoils, there's going to be some Amaleki out there who's going to be angry and is going to appeal to God to punish you for taking his stuff, don't worry about it, Abarbanel is saying, that David is saying. These are the enemies of God. God is not about to side with them. The, um, these, are, these are bad people doing bad things, and they don't have any rights. That's the way that, that Abarbanel reads what, um, what David is doing here. Clear? Questions, comments? Vanessa? I really do find that last passage difficult to grasp because in modern terms, I would never take anything from those Nazis. I wouldn't eat from them. I wouldn't keep it. I wouldn't. And these are enemies of God. I, I don't understand how it is um, certified as being okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting point, especially when we do make the point in certain wars, including with Amalek, of not taking from the spoils. I would offer a couple of suggestions. Um, one suggestion would be the Jews are not in a position to turn down spoils at this point. They're not the power. The, and David's men are certainly not the power. Um, these are the desperate people who were starving just a few chapters ago. Um, it's not like they became wealthy living among the Plishtim either. So I think there's a level of need that is involved here. Um, but I think also when they reject spoils, it's not just out of enmity. It's usually motivated by religion. So we saw it in Yericho, where Yoshua said, nobody gets any of the spoils. By the way, that backfired. Right? And we had problems as a result. But there we understood that what Yoshua was doing, we gave a lot of explanations for why Yoshua said no one should take from the spoils. But one explanation was because the victory was on Shabbos and he didn't want to benefit from a Shabbos victory. Another was because this was their first victory when they entered Israel and it's like Bikurim, like the first fruits. The, um, we gave a whole bunch of explanations, but a lot of them were religious explanations. Ditto with Amalek. The point was to show Charles' war with Amalek, that it was a religious war. So maybe when they don't take spoils, it's less about, I don't want anything from so-and-so, and more a religious statement, which they feel here is not relevant. Yeah. Okay. Hard to swallow. Yeah, no, I hear you. Um, who else? In Israel, in Israel, the decision was taken at the end to take the money of the Germans, because it was needed. Yeah. Right. I think there were arguments about it, but at the end. Right. That's true. They took the rep- they took the reparations. It's true. And, and I think I think we have to respect. I know that there were that there were Holocaust survivors. I, I was going to say that, that there were Holocaust survivors who rejected it. 
But they were, and we have no right to, to say anything negative or to say it's hard to, it's not understandable that there were many Holocaust survivors who said, no, like it's, nothing's going to make up for right. what they did to me and what they, what they took from me and, and, and the horror. But, you know, if this can make my life easier, yeah. I'll take it. No, it was a very hard thing. I remember hearing Ravar and Soloveitchik talk about it very angrily. He did not want Jews taking it. The, um, but it's hard. I wasn't in that position. Claudette. Yes. But it's a mystery because we don't know what happened. Well, he d- we do know, but he took that not as spoils. That was placed in the Mishkan. It was supposed to be tribute to God, and then David took it when he fled from Shaul, right? He went to the Mishkan in Nov, and he's apparently been wielding it the, uh, in, uh, in battle. That's what we know. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, here's where we have an interesting question. Um, I don't know how the different editions of Shmuel that you have display these last sentences. But if you were to look in, so to speak, a pure text, a parchment written the way Tanakh is supposed to be written, what you would find is that it's written in columns. It's a shira, a poem, a song. I'll show you here the Dat Mikra. Um, way that it that it uh, that it looks on the page, if you can see that there, right? So I don't know about your editions, but it's got in uh, it's it's done with gaps in between in poem form. So Professor Keel in the dot Nick, sorry, which took a lot in that form, um, starting from. Where it says La Asher Bevet El, starting from that, which is Pasuk Chavzayin. What do you have, Janine, in your edition? No, it's a regular, just regular print. That's sad. Okay. okay. So. I have the but not here. Okay. I see yours also. Yeah, Ricky, you don't you don't have it that way. Um, so take a look at Professor Keel in source number nine, who comments on why this is done in, uh, in poem form, he offers two explanations. He says, The Masorah, the tradition that we have for how to display the text, um, gave this section the form of a poem. And in truth, these words are a sort of poem. Some, their importance is David al Amaleki that they speak of David's victory over Amalek. and that is the beginning of the establishment of his throne. So hang in there. Don't, no comments and questions yet. The um, the first point that we're making is simply that it's a victory poem. You can compare it to other victory poems that we've seen. So, for example, if you go all the way back to chapter 6, chapter 6, sentences 17 and 18. We commented on this at the time, but it's a long time ago. The... um, 
if you look there at chapter 6, says into 17 and 18, this is when the Plishtim send back the Aron after they have suffered for holding the Aron, and they've got these Herodians, Hemorrhoids, whatever exactly these things are that they, um, that they send back. And we said, and there was one from Ashdod, and one from Aza, and one from Ashkelon, and one from Gat, and one from Ekron, and it's written poem style. And we were like, that is such a weird thing to make a poem out of. But what it's doing is, it's celebrating a military victory. It is a defeat of the enemy. We saw it back in Sefer Yehoshua, in chapter 12, in Sefer Yehoshua, there was a poem with the names of the 31 kings who Yoshua defeated. Of course, again, the Megillah is coming up Monday night and Tuesday, the 10 sons of Haman. You're, all of these are to celebrate a, uh, a victory. But then he also writes, it's the establishment of David's throne. Take a look at the rest of source number nine. I see the question in the chat. The answer is sentences 27 through the end of the chapter are in poem form. So the af yesh b'shira zu gam mishum b'sora liyisud malchuso. This poem also includes the news of the establishment of David's throne. What emerged was that war, Achish's war against Israel, which caused Shaul's fall, that's what results in David ascending to the throne. And on that, Rav Bazak makes an interesting point. I, I think it's a little random, but still. The last city to whom David sends the spoils, going by our list, even though after our list it also says, and he sent it to a bunch of others, but the last named city on our list is Hebron, which would become David's base of operations from which he would be king for the next seven years before he eventually gets the throne in Yerushalayim. So what we're seeing here is, number one, David is a victor who is not interested in the spoils. He distributes them instead to others for righteous reasons. And we now have a celebration of David's ascendancy to the throne, as well as his victory over Amalek. Clear? Okay, questions and comments? Yes, Susan. So I didn't look. I didn't look to see. I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So one last note, or two last notes, really, on this chapter. First, I mentioned this when we started the chapter. This chapter highlights how David and Shaul differ from each other. Um, Rabazak highlights the similarity of language describing the distress that Shaul was in in chapter 28, and that David was in when Ziklag fell and the people were opposed to David. I gave you the references in source number 10 on the sheet. But you should look at the psukim. It's better to look at the psukim themselves. So we jump back to chapter 28, sentence 15. Keep one hand on our chapter. But in 28.15, 
Shaul is talking to Shmuel. He has summoned Shmuel via the Ov. And Vayomer Shaul in 2815, Tsarli Me'od. Right? He is in a lot of trouble, he says. Tsarli Me'od. And then, still in chapter 28, if you go to sentence 20, after Shmuel tells Shaul that he's going to die, his sons are going to die, right? What are we told about Shaul? He, he hurried, Vayipol Maloko Maso Arzai, throws himself fully down on the ground. Vayiramaod Bidivrei Shmuel, he was very afraid because of what Shmuel said. Gam Koach Lohayavo, and he had no strength in him, he didn't eat that day, he didn't eat that night. Okay, Sarali Meod, and he has no Koach, no strength. Now go back to David in our chapter, the beginning of our chapter, sentence 4 and sentence 6. We said, David and the nation cried. You see that? Adasher einbahem koach livkos, until they had no more strength to cry. That is like the no strength that Shaul had. And then in sentence 6, when the people want to stone David, right? They, um, it says, "Vatetzer leDavid meod." It is tsar for David. David is in pain. Meod, just like Shaul, tsar le meod. So, noticing the uh, the links between the two, Professor Keel says that. We're trying to show how David and Shaul respond differently to their distress. Because what was Shaul's reaction when he felt this distress? What did he do? He fell down. Mm. No, no, no. no. What, is, what did he do? What was his course of action when he felt distressed? The answer... He went to the Ove. Right? He tried to summon Shmuel. He violated Halacha. You're not allowed to do that, and Shaul knew that very well. David's reaction, on the other hand, was described for us here in chapter 30. If you take a look at chapter 30, sentence 4, what did David do? I'm just flipping my own pages here. He turned to Sorry, sentence 6. David draws closer to God in his time of distress. The same thing is going to happen in Shmuel Beis. David is going to experience Tsar again in Shmuel Beis, chapter 22, 7 and 24, 14. We're not looking it up right now. I mean, you can if you want. Um, but you see it there as well. So a major difference in the reaction to being in this state. Further, Professor Kiel points out, Shaul loses the throne for not fighting Amalek fully. David fights Amalek. Also, Shaul is intimidated by the nation. He says, that was his claim, Yaresi Esha'am, I was afraid of the people. Whereas David deals with their anger twice in the Perak. Once after Tziklag falls and they yell at him, and then the second time when he wants to split the spoils, and they don't want it. And David deals with it. He's very gentle, but he's very firm. And now, Shaul is going to die, and David will become Melech. Not by killing Shaul, 
but by Shaul's demise due to his flaws. You follow? So this contrast becomes very important. Finally, concluding Medrash. I like this Medrash as a comment on David's Ark, the route that David has traveled here. Um, if you take a look at source number 12, this is a Medrash that in context is talking, if I remember correctly, about the Shira, about Azyashir. But you'll see the relevance. Zeu Sha'amar HaKasuv. This is the meaning of the following Pasuk, which is in Mishlei. Those who are learning Mishlei with me on Tuesdays, we get a little Mishlei thrown in. We won't get it on this coming Tuesday. So, Lev Yodea Maras Nafsho. The heart knows the bitterness of its spirit. And when it is joyous, when it gets to joy... No outsider can join. Meaning, you know your own misery. No one else knows your misery the way you know your misery. On the other hand, when you get to celebrate and to rejoice, no one can feel the joy the way that you feel the joy. You've been in the, you've been in the dumps. You've been down. That experience is unique. And therefore, the celebration, when things work out, is also unique. So this Medrash applies it to different circumstances, including to David. Hischil David Bochet. David started to cry. Shinamar, like the text says, Oh, David was very upset. Because the people wanted to stone him. Loasu, but they didn't stone him. They saved their wives. They saved their sons and daughters. They came to Israel. Remember this idea that the Plishtim is not the land of Eretz Yisrael. So they came to Eretz Yisrael. They brought up the Aron to Yerushalayim. They put it in its place. And what does it say there? The people were happy. And David rejoiced with a great joy. He suffered bitterly when he was down, but then he has this pure joy which no one else can grasp when they bring the Aron to, uh, to Yerushalayim. So I like that. At least Perak Lamed gets a happy ending. The, uh, not so much Lamed Allah. Um, okay. Questions and comments on that before we do review questions on this Perak. Alright, let's do review questions then. Um, you've got them on your sheet. Who would believe you come up with 19 review questions on this short parak? Um, but I did. So, this is an old one. We've done this one before, but it became relevant again in our chapter. Where do these Amalekites come from if Shaul destroyed Amalek? We gave two answers. Sorry? Doesn't count if you're muted. Except we learned that he didn't destroy them all. There must have been some Right. Either some of them escaped... Or there were other Amalekite tribes elsewhere, and it was never a war against all of Amalek. Why did Amalek attack Ziklag? They were angry with David for attacking them. Yeah, the commentators assume it's revenge for David's raids. The text could be read in different ways, because it looks like they're attacking other people also, but on the other hand, they only burned Ziklag. It seems like, and the commentators assume, it's revenge for David raiding their uh, their land. Why did David's men blame him for the attack by Amalek? We had a lot of answers for this one. They were, they were with one of them. Was, he wasn't there. He was with uh, 
Well, they were, they were all with Achish. Yeah. They were all with Achish. One was the problem, I think this may be what you mean, the Maldim says they didn't leave guards. Yeah. Why didn't we leave any guards? Um, that's one approach. Abarbanel said it's because David was wallowing in grief instead of mobilizing them to go after Amalek. Um, Mitsudas David said that they were angry because what were you trying to go to war with Achish in the first place? And then I thought that the simple answer was because we've said these people are bitter and desperate. Like that's, yeah, they're not going to, they, they're, of course they're going to find someone to blame. Ruth, you were going to say? No? Okay. So the next question, why did Hashem allow Amalek to succeed, oops, to succeed against, that was a mistake there, um, against Siklag? That's a typo. Why did Hashem allow Amalek to succeed against Tziklag? So that David wouldn't be there to help Shul. Right. Shul lose the war. Right. That's Malbim's very memorable answer. He says that God wants to keep David from saving Shaul. We also saw other answers, right? Radak suggested that Hashem actually didn't cause it to happen. Hashem mitigated what happened. Amalek was going to attack anyway. What Hashem did was mitigate things by protecting the lives of those who were there so nobody got killed. And then you had this unique idea from Rav Bazak who thought this was a punishment to David for giving the appearance that he'd be willing to attack Israel and for tricking Achish. Yes, Ricky. Uh, this, this is not part of the answer, but in, in light of what happens later that Shaul loses, could this have been a distraction to keep David away? Right, that was what we quoted from, that was what we quoted from Malbim. Yeah, that was what Claudette had said. That it was a distraction to keep David away from helping, from helping Shaul. That's correct. Okay, I'm sorry. Yep, I'm no problem. Nope, you are, you are correct. That, that was my I'm, I'm as smart as, I'm just, I'm almost as smart as Claudette. We should all be. So, um, why didn't 200 out of the 600 go to fight against Amalek? And how is it that the explanations fit their title as Pigarim? Sorry, Ruth, what? Right. So one approach is that they were a mission. They were on a mission. They had a, they were a unit. Pegger like a body. This is a Barbanel and Malbim, either to guard the equipment or to guard the crossing of, of the Nachal Basor or Habasor. That's one approach. Claudette, you were going to say? Oh, I was just saying that some of them said they were tired. Right. They were exhausted. That's Rashi and Radak. They, um, they're like they were dead, the word pigarim, meaning corpses. Alternatively, they dropped out. They were inactive, that, like a corpse, and that's Rashi also. Or, Rabaghead, they were frightened, and they claimed to be like they were dead. You know, like they claimed to be exhausted, but they were, the truth of the matter is that they were just, uh, they were just afraid. Okay. So, uh, David asks God, a question or two questions about what to do. Was he asking whether he should go to fight Amalek or was he only asking whether he would succeed? Yes, two questions. Only if he would succeed. So it's a machlokas, right? It was not clear. 
Um, the Gemara believes he asked two questions. And normally you're not supposed to ask two at once, but Hashem allowed it because he was in a rush. So he asked two questions. Should I pursue? Will I succeed? Or Malbim, who says it was only one question, will I succeed? He was saying, I'm going. Will I succeed? Two different ways. When my daughters were little, they went to school. I didn't want to ask them if they wrote the essay. So I would say, are you pleased with the way your essay came out? And I was also applying the first part. Did you Got write it. Okay. Well, I hope they turned out all right. Um, what do we learn from David's treatment of the Egyptian captive? Right? They meet the Egyptian who uh, had been a servant of Amalek. What do we... Right, they were very humane, even though they're in this massive rush. Contrast that with the Amalekite master, who when this Egyptian fellow became ill, abandoned him. So David and his men take the time to help, not knowing that he's going to end up being a resource for them. Good. The text mentions that when they beat Amalek, there were 400 Amalekites who escaped on camels. Why do we care? Why do you mention them? What's the point? So here, uh, some of these were young, young ones that were saved because of of a favor that the generation back when it was done. So right, so blending two different things, right? One is that they only a few of them escaped, and they had camels, and that's how they were able to get away. And it's really highlighting the success of the battle. They were swift, they were young, and so on. And then the other idea, which you point out, that this is a callback to Asaph's 400 who left him. They didn't fight Yaakov, they didn't go on to Yaakov, and they're being rewarded. And the point of that madrash seems to be to put this story in the context of the larger yaakov Asaph battles and the battle against Amalek across the, uh, the generations. Good. Why did the warriors declare that the spoils belong to David? They said, Zesh lal David. What was that? Uh, what was that about? One was to one was to say that to acknowledge his as the ruler, as the king, and the king, and therefore what? For me, king, and therefore what? And therefore, he owns the shalom because we had that from back. We had a quote that the shalom belongs to the king. Right. So what we had said, we had two different ideas. I'm not sure which one you're referring to. One idea from the Yushalmi, well, the basic idea is they're just cheering, right? It's just a cheer. That's the simple read, like after David kills Goliath. We had the Yushalmi, which said, he is the king, and the fields we are traveling through all belong to him. I wasn't sure, if Susan, if that was what you were referring to. It's about the fields they're traveling through. Or about Renel slash Malbin saying, no one can claim the spoils that we have here because you gave up hope. It now belongs to David. That wasn't about him being king, really. It was more about just the nature of war and uh, and loot. Okay. We are up to question 10. Which spoils did the 400 men refuse to split with the 200 men? Remember, there were different spoils. There were the spoils that Amalek took from Tiklag, and then there were the spoils in general that Amalek had taken from others. Which was it that they refused to share? Is it the spoils from the others? What do you, so it's both. 
It's the general property of Amalek and even the property taken from Tiklag. In other words, the 200, you get your families and be happy. You don't even get the property that uh, that you originally held. That's gone. How does David respond to the 400 men who don't want to split the spoils? He doesn't agree, that's true. Ruth, what you were saying? That they also played their part. That they also... That they also served the role. Oh, yes. Yes. The, um, this is true. But he, I, what I was getting at, maybe I should have worded the question differently, is um, he responds gently. Gently, that's what I was saying. Right. He calls them my brothers. Yeah. Um, okay. Why does David insist on splitting the spoils evenly between the fighters and the non-fighters? So one of it is already what Ruth said, right? It's a matter of justice, saying that everybody deserves a share. They also participated. They guarded the Caleb. It was a war representing everybody. All the different ways we understood it as justice. Or it's chesed. David is a big believer in chesed. He has a heritage of chesed. He's doing it out of kindness. Why would it be fair for the non-fighters to receive an equal share? This is what we just talked about, the justice idea. Why would that be just? So we said already one answer. They can They were guarding, they were holding back the supplies to let the other soldiers run quickly after. Right, the supplies were guarding the crossing. That's one approach. Another approach was, sorry, Jeanette? Right, Hashem was the one who did the fighting. That was Ralbag and Abarbanel. Or they contributed merit. It's really in their merit that we won, especially if we say, as Malbum suggests, that by waiting and not fighting, they're demonstrating their, uh, their, their faith in Hashem. What biblical precedent is there for David splitting the spoils? Abraham and the five Right. Abraham and Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre saying that they receive it. That's a Barbanel's view. And the, um, I mean, it's the Medrash's view, which a Barbanel discusses at length. Um, but not Midian, because in, in Midian, the non-fighters, on the one hand, deserve it more, because it was a war for the whole nation that had suffered from Midian, and yet they receive a smaller percentage. The, uh, because the way it's divided up there is that 12,000 of them get 50%, minus the portion for the Mishkan, and everybody else is splitting the other 50%. So they deserve it more, and they get a smaller percentage. That's not a, uh, a model. Why does David share the spoils with communities in Yehuda? Getting towards the finish line, we have four minutes to go. Sorry? Right, gratitude, practicality in terms of the politics of it, we mentioned today. Um, Pursume Nisa, to, um, to publicize the miracle. Chesed, because that's who David is. Or they deserve it from their piety, because Amalek is their enemy, because the spoils come from them as well, because they supported him. Okay. Why do we record the splitting of the spoils as a poem, victory, or establishment of David's throne? We just said that a few minutes ago. What does our chapter tell us about David's men? 
What do we see about them? I think one thing we see about them is that they followed W completely. They didn't want yeah. the spoils split that way, but if W said yes, then they right true right to the end to W as being their leader. Right. These men are hard. They are, hang on, Ricky, I'm sorry, I only have a couple of minutes. They are hard, they are desperate, they are difficult, especially if you say that the 200 didn't go because they just didn't feel like going, or they, you know, they were backing out, and yet, as Susan says, they will follow David loyally. Sorry, Ricky, you were going to say? They were also not afraid of him. They are, they feel that he's a, a kind of a leader that is not going to punish them for speaking out, and well, I also think that's a really good sign of a leader. It could be, or it could just be that they're just so tough that they don't care. <laughs> That's the other way to take it. Um, what does our chapter tell us about David's leadership style? That he tries to be soft, but he's willing to be tough for the sake of his principles. And finally, we contrast David and Shaul in their response to Tzara, their response to being in trouble, turning to God as David does, um, and he asks the Urim Vitumim as well, which I didn't mention before. Um, or Shaul with a desperate turn to the oath. So what we'll do, God willing, next week is we're going to start on the uh, the new parak, Lamed Aleph. Um, I'm not sure at this stage how long the shear will be next week because usually I prepare the Shmuel shear on Tuesdays and I'm going to be busy on Tuesday. So um, so I'm not sure how much time it'll be. It may not be a full hour. It'll depend on you know how things are going. We'll uh, we'll see, but that'll be God willing uh, next Thursday. We'll okay. always over prepare anyways, so we'll yeah. probably. We'll see. All right. Thank you very much, everybody. Good job, everybody. Chag Purim Sameach, Purim, and a good job.